Hello and welcome to We Are History. I'm John O'Farrell. And I'm Angela Barnes. Celebrated TV comic Angela and I will be talking <laughs> today about... Sorry, what are you laughing that? for, Angela? It just seemed so sarcastic. Oh, you're famous. <laughs> I am not. You've got more Twitter followers than me. Well, that's not really how we measure these things. Somebody <laughs> said to me the other day, oh, I recognise you from somewhere. And I, it took ages for me to go, oh, I used to be on telly about 10 years ago every now and then. <laughs> that's really embarrassing. Anyway, enough of that. But you must get recognised all the time, do you, Angela? I get it a bit occasionally. Yeah. Mostly people go, I know you from somewhere. Yeah. And that's awkward because then you go, well... It might be that you know me from the telly, but it yeah. also might be that we use the same Asda. And if I say, have you seen me on telly? I'm going to look like a prick yeah, if it's the Asda one. You definitely used to work in Swindon Social Services. No, I, I really didn't. A lot of people think they've worked with me. That's a common that one. That is, yeah. A lot of people think they've with me. Medium of TV is. Yes, doesn't it? Because yes. movie stars, they always knew it was a movie star, but TV stars, people always thought they knew them. So that's, uh... Maybe it's because as well on Mot the Week, I'm sat behind a desk. Ah, so you... They, People they, used to see me sat at a desk. They think you're a receptionist, is what you're saying. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Today, we are back to the Cold War, Angela's favourite area. So she yeah. chose this one. But it's the Cold War with a difference. It is. Um, I think it's very interesting how sort of totalitarian regimes or countries in great competition look for status symbols and mm. ways to prove that their system is the best. So with all the corruption in the Olympics and the drugs that the East Germans had and all the different ways mm. of bigger statues or bigger monuments. But... Angela's picked out a very interesting area of com competition between uh, the two East and West blocks. What are we talking about today, Angela? This is my area of nerdiness, is particularly uh, East Germany in the Cold War period. That's mm -hmm. my mastermind specialist subject, if they ever ask me on. And I'm aware, like, if I have my way, every single episode of We Are History <laughs> would be set in the Cold War. So I have to eke it out. And But I said to you, John, there's this book I'm going to read, and it it's an interesting take on it. So we thought we'd do an episode about it. The German title is Der Zoo der Anderen, which literally translates as The Zoo of the Others. Yeah, we could do better than that. Yeah, the English translation is uh, The Zookeeper's War, they've called it. It's about how, well, we'll come into this, but Berlin in the Cold War is a divided city and each half of the city has a zoo. And the zoo is turns out to be quite instrumental in sort of showcasing the success of the, each regime. When two um, zoos go to war. Exactly. <laughs> There's a lot in the book about sort of the specific animals in the zoos and how they were kept and how they built their enclosures and things like that, which is really interesting, but not for this podcast. Okay. But do read the book because there's a lot more in the book than we're going to talk about today, um, particularly about how animals were hunted and collected for zoos, particularly in the sort of 20th century. Yeah, I mean, if you think about when um, with David Attenborough first came on our screens, he was mm. presenting a show called Zoo Quest, and that was getting mm. specimens for the zoo. Um, mm. And he's now this great environmentalist, but that's the journey mm. of his lifetime. And there was a lot of illegal trading of animals, um, the capture of animals, the way that they were acquired for zoos in the 20th century. Um, there's a good overview of that in the book. Right. You know, at one point, a whale swims up the Rhine and this overzealous zookeeper just tries to hunt it down and capture it for his dolphinarium. That feels like and, um, quite a big ask. Guys, guys, quite... I'm going to need your hand this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> the two zookeepers we're going to be talking about became celebrities in Germany. And I thought, well, actually, we had that here as well, didn't we? We had John Aspinall, who was 
Portland Zoo and Howlett Zoo down in Kent. Yeah. He was quite famous, wasn't he? These were sort of maverick characters who had their own sort of private zoos in the way of sort of uh, Randolph Hearst or something, like in, you know... uh, Xanadu in the Citizen Kane. It's that sort of... Yeah. Um... And of course now, Joe Exotic. And it's only really in America where that still exists. I think in yeah. Britain now, we see zoos as, you know, breeding programmes and conservation yes. programmes and as trying to sort of repair yes. the was... image of zoos over the years. They've got a massive problem in Colombia of escaped hippos from El Chapo's private estate. He had loads of hippos mm. in his uh, the grounds and they've all gone feral. And uh, they go around killing everyone in the rivers, but they can't—they can't do anything. They've got too many hippos yeah. to sort of uh, cull. Blimey. But you know, if you have massive drug dealers with the private zoos, you're going to get this, Angela. Yeah. So leaving private zoos aside, yeah. in the 20th century, public zoos operated on a similar sort of way, really, in that it was all about the number of animals you had, the rarity of the animals you had, and how much you could show them off to people, right. rather than sort yeah. of conservation and environment. The main Berlin Zoo which is in the west of the city, uh, has been there since the 19th century. Yep. So we'll start the story here, really, at World War Two, because uh, Nazis liked zoos. Oh, uh, Nazis very keen on nature, John. Well, you know. all that, yes, nature and nudity um, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Weirdly, though, they did, and this is absolutely true, they liked their zoos to showcase native German animals, which isn't that just typically Nazi, <laughs> even their yeah. animals... Had to be pure German. I'm surprised they stopped there. Like I'm surprised they just weren't full of blonde-haired, blue-eyed animals. You know, just a golden retriever in a cage somewhere. Angela, that would be a Shih Tzu. No, John, I said golden retriever. Oh, you see what we did there? Yes! Set them up and he knocks them down. <laughs> that would be a Shih Tzu. No, John, golden, I said golden, golden retriever. retriever. Ladies and gentlemen, that's oh, my time. You've been take great. Take afternoon off. Okay, Come and you on. can catch Angela Barnes at the... <laughs> Okay, we've got the shit zoo joke out of the way now. So at the time in World War II, a man called Lutz Heck was the director of Berlin Zoo. Great name, Lutz Heck. Although he was a big old Nazi. He was friends with Goering. He gave Goering a pet lion cub. I think I've seen that footage, actually. The way the zoo worked at the time was it had shareholders who would be given free entrance to the zoo. So the visitors sort of owned it. So it was kind of a public-owned thing. And Berliners particularly... They have a reputation for being animal obsessed. They have a bear on their symbol, don't they? That's right. I think bear, as in Berlin, might come from bear, actually. So I think that's the, there might be the origin yeah. of the name, as in Bern in Switzerland, the same thing. Do you know, Angela, as we're talking this, do you know which mm. cheese you might use to get a bear down from a tree? I do, John, but I'm going to let you do it. Come on, bear! <laughs> <laughs> Does that joke work in German? I don't know. <laughs> We've had shit I told that to my mum. And my mum told uh, my, the rest of the family a bit. She goes, now, what camembert do you use for a bear? Like, <laughs> no, mum, you just said the thing. What? Oh, you've made me go wrong now. Do continue anyway, with your Nazi zoo story. The non-human residents of Berlin Zoo became VIPs in their own little way. That You had Bobby the gorilla right. in the 20s. Uh, he was the first of his species to join Berlin Zoo. Then uh, we'll tell the story later of Knautschke. The hippo. Knautschka. Um, Knautschka is a lovely word, isn't it? It means um, crumples. Crumples. Is like, okay. like crumpled, rumpled sort of oh. skin of a hippo. You can see where it came from. Knautschka. Yeah. And Knut, the polar bear, oh. um, who when it died, there was an outpouring of grief like Princess Diana. Um, oh. So they loved their animals. Like pretty much everywhere in Germany, John, the yeah. zoo has a little bit of a murky 
past okay. when it comes to World War Two. Right? It's hard to avoid a murky past in Germany yeah. in some way or another. Um, and Heck ran the zoo very strictly to Nazi party guidelines. He was a party member. He was friends with Nazis. That mean that the, that the German animals extended their cages into the living space of the Sudeten animals. That's, That's right. The so, so, so Polish horse paddock <laughs> is historically part of the wolf enclosure. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. <laughs> okay, good. This is good to know. In July, in 1938, um, Jewish shareholders, so remember right. lots of people were shareholders in the zoo, yeah. they were forced to sell back their shares for much less than they were worth. Oh, bloody hell. And by the end of 1938, Jewish visitors were no longer admitted oh, to the zoo. Everywhere, everywhere. Every little corner of pleasure of aspects Every of life. Every single bit yeah, of yeah, life yeah, was yeah, affected. Yeah, yeah. The zoo remained open during World War II. Okay. But by... 1943, things are looking pretty grim for the Nazis. Right. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert. So <laughs> around 750 animals from 250 species were evacuated from Berlin Zoo. How? How do you uh, well, good question. How do you evacuate um, an elephant? It was like a big circus train or something. This is, this is another movie. This is going to be another Disney movie. The evacuation. <laughs> John sees another, <laughs> another musical potential. Hang the on a minute. The wildebeest is going, I'd rather not share a carriage with a lion if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, you two will be all right. You, you two can bunk up in there. You're both from Africa. You'll be fine. <laughs> So yeah. in 1943, word kept coming that the Red Army's advancing yeah. and it's coming towards Berlin. So they right. built a massive... There's a massive air raid shelter was built uh, near the, the gate. Of, for um, not for the animals, John, for oh, the people. Oh, sorry. I was just picturing the, <laughs> I was picturing the penguins all trooping down in single file. What they had, they had sort of big molehills covered in metal sheeting and stuff above ground for animals to take refuge in, okay. in bombing the campaigns moles, if, did they, the if they thought that, to or? do it. The moles made that, <laughs> yes, John. Lutz Heck, this Nazi director of the zoo, mm-hmm. gets word that the Red Army are advancing on Berlin. And he buggers off. You would do. Well, he also, he knows that he had stolen a load of animals from Eastern Europe. Uh, he stole a load of wild horses from the Ukraine and stuff. So he knew that the Russians weren't exactly going to treat right. him kindly. Now, there is a woman at the zoo whose name is Katerina Heinrott. And she's a woman I want to talk about because I think she's pretty. She's what I would call a badass Frau. I don't speak German, so I have no um, idea what you're saying. See if there. you can work out what that means. But she's the hero of this story by the sound of it. Well, she is at this point. I think she's amazing. So when she was 22, yeah. she did uh, PhD courses in zoology, botany, and paleontology, geology and geography. So we're like, thinking a would... secretarial role. <laughs> Well, this is exactly what happened. Because when you're a woman, it doesn't matter if you've got a PhD in all those subjects. You can't work in those fields, right? So she'd been married and divorced. And then she started working as a secretary to oh, okay. a man. I was joking. Like, yeah, no, it's true. Oh, God. Yeah. She, yeah. The only job she could get was as a secretary to Oscar Heinrott, who was the Berlin Zoo's aquarium director. But he was also a keen ornithologist, right? So she started working as his secretary. Yeah. Um, despite being you know, immensely qualified. And eventually they fell in love and got married. Now, Oscar, her husband in the war, he had pneumonia. He was quite unwell. He got pneumonia from spending a lot of time in an air raid shelter. He was older than her. And at one point, a nurse accidentally misjudged an injection and paralysed his leg. Right, So he's not in a good way. Before Heck fled, him and Katerina have this massive row because she wants goat milk rations for her husband. Right. Bearing in mind, they're all, you know, they're all hungry short. now. Yeah, yeah. Berliners are in a city that is being bombarded. They had goats in the zoo, did they? 
Now, goats in the zoo. It'd be in the petting zoo, wouldn't it? It'd be in the petting zoo is always like the shit bit of the zoo, isn't it? Shit zoo. Oh, no, John, it was a golden retriever. Spike, don't laugh and encourage him. I can see you. <laughs> Heck didn't like Oscar Heimot and Katerina Heimot because they were conducting their own research outside the zoo and they liaised with Jewish and dissident scientists to do that. Okay. And so being the Nazi that he was, there was no love lost between them. But he did say that he felt Katerina Heimrot fought well for a woman and okay. argued and she did win the rations off him in the end. So from 1943, really, you've got this bombing campaign from the for, for 18 months, this yeah. goes on. British bombing, American bombing, and the Red Army's moving closer and closer until they advance on Berlin in April 1945. Now, the Eastern Front right. ran right through the zoo. Okay. So you had Soviet tanks at the walls of the zoo. And the zookeepers that hadn't, fucked off with Lutz Heck, who, by the way, had to do a runner on a bicycle, which makes me laugh because there were no vehicles left. They'd yeah. all been commandeered. Yeah. So he had to literally got on his bike <laughs> and cycle to Leipzig. And the rest of the zookeepers were all sort of conscripted into the Folkstrom, the, the national militia that was conscripted to sort of fight for Berlin. Okay. So it was only a matter of time before they attacked the zoo, which they did. Lutz Heck's done one, the director. So Katerina Heinrich, this this secretary, the yeah. aquarium director secretary, has sort of taken over. She starts nursing people in the shelters, including her husband who's dying. Um, she got a white flag, painted a red cross on it, on the bunker in the hope that the Red Army wouldn't attack it. And then I presume eventually the Russians moved into the zoo. They did indeed. In Berlin, there's a statue... Um, you may have seen the the it's a Soviet war memorial, which is a memorial because thousands of Soviet troops died. It was a hundred thousand died. Well, on yeah. Side. I mean, it's a dreadful, dreadful thing. The, the 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 battle for Berlin. Absolutely. Very brutally treated the Berliners, of course, in in in, in, in yeah. revenge. I suppose. Well, the the Soviet war memorial is known by locals as the tomb of the unknown rapist. Yeah. Um, because the Red Army would rape the women of Berlin, kill the men, rape the women. Yep. That was, uh, and, and it sort of it happens a lot in, in war. I think this is one of the worst examples. Because I think Stalin, yeah. it was almost like it, but they were given green light to do it. Well, they were given instruction to do yeah. it. It's really taboo still in Russia to talk about this. Yes. Anthony Beaver's um, book on the fall of Berlin is very, uh, very comprehensive. If you can face reading mm. such a big, you know, 500 pages on nonstop rape and murder. My friend Giles yeah. Milton has just written a book about Berlin from 1945 to 1950, which I should buy for you, Angela, because I'm sure you'd love that. It's about, Ooh, yeah. it's about the, the fall of Berlin and the beginning of the Cold War. Uh, yeah. He's got loads of original research he's done on this. But yes, it was a very, very grim time. There was one story of a man yeah. who, uh, whose wife was, has died and the neighbour said, look, have my wife's body because when the Russian soldiers come round, mm. they won't search your house for your wife. She can hide upstairs and you can say, here's my wife. And they were Russians were all giving him cigarettes Jesus. and vodka and saying, so sorry. Meanwhile, his wife managed to hide upstairs. They knew what was coming. It was terrible. Yeah. It was sort of a revenge as well because the Nazis had done that to, to women in the Crimea when they yes. were there. You know, it, it was a tool of war, still is a tool yeah. of war yes, that's absolutely. pretty grim and people don't really talk about Anyway, our comedy podcast, our comedy podcast. I know, podcast. keep it like Barnes. <laughs> The reason I bring it up is because the soldiers raped Katerina Heimroth right. in the zoo grounds. And she kept her husband alive at this point. He did die later on in May, but she moved him back into the apartment as the Red Army moved moved through. Only 91 animals in the zoo survived the war, Okay, uh, which, you know, that's not did, many. Did, did Crumples a, the hippo make it? Crumples the hippo. Knachka? Knachka? Yeah. 
the hippo. Uh, he became famous he because his mother died. Um, the bombs had destroyed the hippo house, killed his mother. And the zookeepers, they kept Knauchka alive by pouring water over him several times a day to keep his skin from drying so, out. So he's now an orphan um, hippo. He's now an orphan hippo. Uh, but a real sort of symbol of Berliner's sort of... Resistance you know, and stoic, stoic resistance survival, and, yeah. Exactly. Several other animals disappeared soon after the war. Um, let's face it, they were slaughtered by hungry Berliners. Uh, uh, it happened. Yes. Siege of Paris. Remember, they started eating the zoo animals. We did. They ate, uh, poor Casper um, and Pollux, the elephants, got eaten in the Siege of Paris. Right. I'm surprised that more animals weren't eaten because they were really starving, the, um, the Berliners, after the war. Maybe it's yeah. because of the, the, the food was supplied by the Allies and stopped them eating any more. Yeah. You would have thought it would have been all like llama for supper, wouldn't you, really? You'd think, yeah. At this point as well, all the boundary fences had gone, so traffic could go through the zoo. It was a really difficult time for the zoo. Now, Heck had done one, as we said. He's scarpered on his bike. First, they appointed another zoo director, but it turned out he was also a Nazi party member, so he left. So the Soviets then appointed a chauffeur to lead the clean-up and everything at the zoo, because despite Katerina Heimrott being there, John, you can't put a woman in charge of a zoo. Chauffeur, though, Angela, that's quite a lot of qualifications. So a chauffeur, obviously. You don't need someone with a PhD in zoology, Driving licence, though. To look after a zoo. He had a clean driving licence, and I think you'll find that is what is important. That trumps it. And he he led the clean-up of the zoo, and in doing so, he brought together 200, they called them Trümmerfrauen, which means rubble women, to clear the zoo and rebuild some of the structures. They love a compound noun, don't they? They do in German. Oh, yes, it's very much so. Uh, Then this guy turns up who'd been a waiter at the zoo, like in their sort of cafe bit, and he told the Soviets that he'd been appointed zoo director. Okay. And, of course, no one could check because there were no phone lines, there were no mail, so they just, again, took his word for it because he's a bloke. Well, we've you got, know. this is good though, we've got all the skills here. We've got a waiter and a chauffeur. Yes. Plus you've got her PhDs in zoology and botany and, and, and all that. Well, Katerina Heinrich with her, who was clearly qualified and clearly resourceful and had kept everyone safe and like during the war, uh, she was just told to join the rubble women in the clear-up. And the most responsibility she was given was to make some signs. Well, maybe they tried to sack the waiter, but they just couldn't get his attention. Hey, we, need, we want to order some more animals. I'll be with you in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so post-war, the situation in Berlin is it gets divided up uh, between the city gets divided up between yep. the Soviet Union, America, France, and Britain. Yes. So in four sectors. Yes. Now, what you have to remember is Berlin itself, as the city, is deep. deep within East Germany. The whole country of Germany has been split between the Allied powers. Yep. And then Berlin has separately been split between the Allied powers. So what you end up with is these three Western sectors. Yep. Within East Germany, right? Yep. Um. So. The, there's a they call it the magistrate of Greater Berlin mm-hmm. is an administrative authority which at this point it's tasked with overseeing all four sectors. Good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. Right now, Berlin Zoo is in the bit of Berlin that has been designated British. Ah, uh, um, see, we're good with animals. It's good. It's they thought, who should we give the animals? The British. They love a, the Brits. They yeah, love their animals. Don't worry about feeding the Berliners. Give them the donkey <laughs> sanctuary, and they're happy. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> so the magistrates summon Katerina Heinrott to a meeting mm. and the Brits have obviously got wind of the fact that she's much more qualified than this chauffeur or waiter to run the zoo and they appoint her interim head of the zoo mm-hmm. and then that position's made permanent in the September. Great. So 
the Allied powers have all recognised the real cultural importance of the zoo. Okay. Brings in tourism, brings in money, but also for the sort, it's a sort, sort of, of... It's a sort of a, 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 an indicator of normality, isn't it? A city that's kind of back yeah. on its feet. It should have a great world city like Berlin, should have a zoo is what they're thinking. And yeah. We're, we're... And also remember, this is a time when people don't have televisions in their homes. Yeah. They don't, you know, it's an entertainment for the people, a really popular form of entertainment to go to the zoo. That and cinema at this time are the big things, you know. Go and see the chimps tea party. So Katerina and her, the, the employees at the zoo all start rebuilding. Yeah. Because the zoo at this point's only got about 200 animals in it. Well, by 1946, it's got about 200 animals in the zoo. But Berliners had started bringing their pets to the zoo because they couldn't afford to keep them and they felt that they'd have a better life. Well, that would have been a shit in zoo. In the zoo. Oh, no, John, it was a golden retriever. That's the new euphemism for Berliners then is um, Little Tiddles is very old. It's gone to live at the zoo, isn't it? That's yes, like... exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, it's the uh, gone to live on a farm. So, exactly. Well, uh, so they must have just got loads of manky dogs turning up and sort of sickly cats and things. And yeah. Just got this image of the lion going, I am completely stuffed. I could not eat another bloody manky tabby cat. <laughs> <laughs> that was delicious. <laughs> so they, they slowly began getting their evacuated animals back and um, everyone was really pro-zoo. Like the zoo workers all donated a month's salary to help yep. rebuild it. Katerina Heinroth, she would, because of her qualifications, she would run these surgeries to give people advice on their pets and stuff and charge money. So they were, you know, making money for the zoo. Um, now, the way Berlin worked, obviously, like we said, Berlin is in the middle of East Germany. Yeah. To get supplies into West Berlin, so into the sectors which were French, American and US, yeah. as opposed to Soviet. But in that period, sort of post-war up until 1949, there were what they called air corridors yeah. where um, planes were allowed to fly in with, with uh, supplies. And there were road and rail corridors. So it was a sort of agreement with the Soviets that they could cross yes. Soviet territory with supplies for, for Westerners in West Berlin. However, on the 18th of June, 1948, France, Britain and the US have announced that they're going to introduce this new currency. Now, they've been talking a lot about a unified currency in Germany, but the occupied forces East and West couldn't really agree. So they sort of unilaterally introduced the Deutschmark without consulting the Soviets first. Oh, dear. Stalin's not going to like that. Stalin's not happy, right? The Soviets are a bit miffed. So they reacted by... Cutting off West Berlin, which they could easily do. They just cut off electricity supplies so the lights will go out. They closed off all the roads and rail into the city. And Stalin basically was trying to force West Berlin to become part of the Soviet zone that it sat within. What about the meerkats, Angela? Did Stalin think about that? Clearly not, John. So Katerina Heinroth was told at the zoo that she would have to cut down all the trees, plant vegetables, get rid of all the animals... Wow. Uh, and instead grow vegetables and pl- have chicken coops because they needed to ensure a food supply. So for basically Berlin. the end of the zoo. The, 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 this was the end of the zoo. It would be the end of the zoo. But she knew that if she closed the zoo, it wouldn't reopen. This is the movie. This is The, the animals are all crying and they're all, they're all this looking. Is the she's going, this is the musical. And she's going, we're not going to let them close our zoo, are we, Crumples? No. no there's a butterfly lounge on <laughs> yeah, their shoulder. Exactly. This and, is, this yeah. is going to be the most, this is the all is lost moment. In the uh, <laughs> and then they have an idea that they'll they'll do their own zoo right here. And that's when we have a big number, and then it's the interval. 
You should do this for a living, John. So what she did, a commander, a British commander turned up with a map of the zoo and they had some ancient trees in the zoo. Okay. You know, this has been ancient sort of woodland. Yeah. She said, no, I'm not cutting down these ancient trees in order to grow food. I'm not going to do it. So this commander came with a map of the zoo with all the trees on it and said, right, let me know which trees we can't cut down, which are the trees that we can't. And she diligently sat there and marked off every single tree, even oh, the trees work. that were actually already dead. Fantastic. <laughs> good work. And she won. None of the trees were felled. And eventually there was an airlift. So supplies were able to get into Berlin. There were shortages. But even during the upheaval and the shortages, People would bring heads of cabbages for Kanauchka, a uh, little hippo. Little hippo. Um, a hippo hero. You know, it was a little hippo hero. They're not little, Angela. Um, Distinctive feature of the hippo is their size, I would say. <laughs> but he's called Knautschka. Oh, little Knautschka. So cute. Little So, May 1949 is when the Bundesrepublik Deutschland becomes official. The Federal Republic of Germany, which is mm -hmm. West Germany, and the Deutschland Demokratische Republik. In Very the right, good. Didier. You've been doing your German uh, GTR, conversation classes. German Democrat. I have. I have one this morning, John. Oh, that is good. Um, so uh, the Soviet zone officially becomes the DDR with East Berlin as the capital of the socialist right. state. At this stage, Leipzig Zoo yeah. in the east had happily been trading animals with Berlin Zoo because although they were different sectors, up at this point, travel between the east and west was still there were checkpoints but it was still relatively you didn't yeah, have if you're an elephant they're not going to stop you are they they're well, going to no, go, go yeah you can come through <laughs> so despite berlin zoo and leipzig zoo being geographically not that far apart that, um yeah. they were now in different and increasingly hostile countries um but the zoo directors aren't that bothered by the politics right they're just worried about their animals and their visitors right. so little knautschka he got sent a couple of mates from the east. Greta and Olga Two. arrived. I'm, yeah, I'm sure he wasn't the last Western male to get their brides from Eastern Europe. What are you but, saying? Um... How do you know? How do you know about Magda? <laughs> <laughs> now Berlin Zoo is in a terrible state financially. We're now at the end of the 40s, and you know it, it's gone through a hard time. So they need to raise money. They need to raise capital. They need to buy more animals. They need to repair their yeah. enclosures and so on. It's... So they start um, holding wrestling matches and Oktoberfests and events and things. And uh, I saw a picture of one of the promotional posters of one of these Oktoberfests with a couple of grinning hippos toasting each other with beer steins. Crumples, you Very let German. us down. Crumples, <laughs> you're demeaning yourself. I love how you're you're just avoiding ever trying to say the word Knautschka <laughs> by calling him Crumples. <laughs> Did they have an aquarium? The aquarium had reopened by 1952 and the zoo was getting back on its feet. They were, Katarina Heinrod and her managing director, they'd managed to really get the zoo up and running again. She did an amazing job and she was very sort of headstrong and diligent and all her focus was on the zoo. She would work 16 hour days and more. She was, you know, that was, was her life's work. She sounds feisty, Angela. I think she's feisty. She's probably a redhead job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> She, she wasn't. But now lots of men are returning now after the war from various prisoner of war camps and various sorts of, you know, yeah, recovery well, from injury or whatever. Yeah. And uh, old Lutz Heck pops his head above the parapet again. He was the original man. Nazi director. Yeah. And he starts to write to the newspapers criticising Katerina's running of the zoo, despite the fact he just buggered off and left her there to and die. He a, and he was a Nazi. And he was a Nazi. So she responded with her own letters to the paper, reminding people that this pal of Goering's had just 
legged it for the war, you know, and left yeah, them yeah. all. It was similar, really, to what happened in Britain, I suppose, that, that lots of women have found these roles during yes. the war and, you know, were rebuilding and, and suddenly the men came back and were like, right, back back, to back in the yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the thing about Germany is that the Russians kept hold of the Germans for you know, many, for many time. years. So, yeah. as you say, at so the it wasn't until the, the 50s, really. Yes. So the women had been running the show a lot, yeah. you know, had been really involved in construction. Like I say, it's the, the Trümmerfrau and the yeah. rubble women that had rebuilt the zoo. Yeah. And now suddenly the men are back and it's like, yeah. back in the house, you guys. Yeah. So that's Berlin Zoo, which is, remember, in the west of the city. Yes. Now, by 1953, the GDR in the east was overextending itself. Right? Okay. It was prioritising heavy industry because it had to show that it was a socialist success. Yes. And what better way to do that than build, build, build. Um, but this led to food shortages because all of the energy was focused on heavy industry. So they raised taxes for middle class entrepreneurs and they forced farms to collectivise and, you know, all the usual so more and more people were fleeing to the West, particularly the middle classes that, you yeah. know, are professionals because they were being taxed so high. Yeah. Obviously, workers now by the, the socialist government, workers were prioritised. So things like middle class, their kids weren't getting places at college or in education because they were going to the children of workers and stuff. So lots of people were fleeing. And in 1952, over 300,000 people fled to the West right. from East Germany. Uh, so there was a brain drain and there was a workforce drain. Yeah. Now, before the wall, there's a lovely story about the zoo. Because before the wall, you could travel between the two sectors. Yeah. There was no wall to stop you. Yeah. But the, your travel would be monitored by the East German authorities. They were called the trappos, the transport polizei. And they would board trains that were crossing the border. Because most people travel by train there. Most people didn't have cars. And um, they would ask people where they were going. And yeah. if you were an East German and you said, I'm going shopping or I'm going to the cinema, they would be gently reminded, John, that there are shops and cinemas in the East. Yes. <laughs> and they didn't need to go to the West. However, if they said, I'm going to the zoo, there was no combat. No. Because right. the zoo was in the West, right? So the East Germans were like, right, we need our own zoo to stop them going right. to West so Berlin. here we go. Berliners love their animals. They need a zoo. But at the moment, they're giving their money to capitalism to go to the zoo. We should have a better zoo is what they're thinking. Exactly. They identified a man for the job to be a zoo director in the East, a man called Heinrich Data. He was 43. He was from rural Saxony, so a proper country lad. Right. He had been a member of the Nazi party, but at the lowest rank. Uh, he just collected the membership dues, basically. Um, he mainly joined the Nazis as a reaction against the Treaty of Versailles. Many people did. And his neighbours later testified he was sort of one of those fluffy, agreeable Nazis. Oh, there's so many of those. You know. Um, so it wasn't like Lutz Heck who was, you know, full-on Nazi-Nazi. But because he'd been a member of the Nazi party, even though at this very low level, he, uh, Data had struggled to get work right. after the war. Um, and eventually it took a concentration camp survivor who knew him to sort of speak up for him. So he was able to go back to working in zoos, but he vowed, John, and this is important, yes. he vowed he would never belong to a political party again because of how his Nazi party membership had planned well, I have to say that's slightly hard on other political parties. I tried the Nazis and they sort of destroyed all of Europe and uh, yeah, so uh, caused I'm give genocide. The so I'm not, I'm not joining <laughs> the Greens after that. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, long story short, he leaves his family in Leipzig yeah, and he comes to be director of what they're calling the Tier Park, which just means animal park in the east. And it's on the ground of the Friedrichsfelder Park, which is already a big park in the east. So now 
We've got East versus West in the Battle of the Zoos. Who will win, John? I, I can't wait to find out in the second half, Angela. Well, probably not the animals, let's <laughs> no, be honest. That's true. Um, <laughs> so we're going to take a break here to muck out the hippo enclosure. Yeah, indeed. And um, uh, um, take care going into the crocodile pen. I will. <laughs> They've had four new keepers in, in a month. Hello, we're back for part two of We Are History and it's when two zoos go to war. Angela has found a way of doing the Cold War that involves animals, which I think is always a good way to get the British interested in very dry <laughs> academic subjects. It's not a dry academic subject. The Cold it's War. very interesting. It's like, yeah, we've got a little hippo. Go and say it, John. Kanauchka. 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 Well hippo. done. Tell us about what happened after East and West Berlin both had zoos of their own and now these two are locked in a great Cold War rivalry. So you've got Heinrich Data has been appointed director of the Tier Park that is going to be built in the East. And his philosophy was that zoos there for the visitors, not the animals. Like we said at the beginning, yep. different times. Different times. You know, so the most important thing for him was the experience of the punters. And they had something in the East that the cramped urban zoo in the West didn't have, and that is lots of space. Okay. Right? It's in this big park. But the people in the east of the city, they had a long-time affinity to this existing zoo. Yeah. You know, it'd been there their whole lives. So yeah. he tried to ask and get them involved and consult them in what they'd want in their eastern zoo. Yeah. He liked the fashion that was around then, sort of mid-20th century, for not presenting animals with pens or cages, but instead presenting them as if they're on a theatre stage with moats and things to stop Okay. Uh, people getting to them. So it's sort of a different way of presenting the animals. The first animal that was sort of promised to the new zoo, what was it, John, do you think? A bear? To Berlin. A, new ba- a, a bear. bear, it was. Did it go up a tree? Because if, if it went up a tree, I know a way to get them down. <laughs> oh, dear. So they had a team of, of sort of young architects, mostly because all the older architects had buggered off to the west, and they started building this new tier park. Data was very hands-on. Um, despite having zero experience in actually designing zoos. And the opening ceremony was scheduled for the 2nd of July, 1955. Now, um, they were pretty behind in their building as the date approached. So they did what they were very good at doing in uh, these sort of totalitarian socialist states, and that is recruiting a shed load of volunteers. You've been volunteered. Um, the volunteers were given, I love this, they were given stickers for their service card. So as a, as a sort of citizen, oh, yeah. you had a service card and when you did voluntary work, you were given a sticker and when you got Fantastic. enough stickers, John, you'd get a badge. Oh, that's amazing. Um, because being a socialist citizen is a bit like being in the brownies. you get a zoo building badge. Exactly. You could probably get this. You'd probably some enamel badge fair that you could go to and, and buy a zookeeper builder badge. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? John, you're looking at me as if I haven't already got one. (laughs) I have some Soviet uh, socialist worker badges. Yeah, Yeah, I've got a few of those as well. What are we like? (laughs) I know, right? My son brought some back from Moscow for me after a school trip. Volunteers, they worked hard and they they put in hundreds of thousands of hours and and they collected money and stuff. Yep, children would rattle tins, the free German youth. Right. Freie Deutsche Jude would... uh, Jude, that's free German Jews. I just said that's not what they were. Free German youth, Jünger. The kids were collecting like acorns and nuts and things for food for the animals when for, they arrived. trees that hadn't been chopped down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, um, the media in West Germany reported on it a bit differently. Didn't really pick up on the enthusiasm of the volunteers. An article in Die Zeit, which is um, the, the newspaper in the West, 
It said, there's not a hint of enthusiasm for this construction. The only sign of initiative so far has emanated from the single animal inhabitant of the world's greatest animal park, Dr. Data's guard dog, who never stops barking. Okay, so there's uh, propaganda on both sides now. About so there's already, right from the beginning, there's propaganda from the West they're about it, this. They're, they're saying it's a shit zoo, Angela. <laughs> oh, no, John, a golden retriever. Keep going. <laughs> so... The first animals, well, we said the first one was a bear from Leipzig Zoo, but the other first animals were all gifts from other Eastern European zoos. I love this. And from GDR businesses. You want to get in with the leadership? Give an animal to the zoo. Give an animal to the zoo. The Stasi, the secret police, the state secret police, they collected for two spectacle bears. They wore glasses. Um, the, yeah, that's <laughs> two right. Two spectacle bears. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny, they, they, they wrote a note that came with the bears that said our comrades felt that one spectacle bear would be bored and the response was so robust that the call for funding brought in triple the planned sum of money and I thought I bet it did Stasi's asking you for money yeah yeah spectacle bears you've got to give my money over for that absolutely so the tier park was opened as planned on the 2nd of July 1955 all 200 acres of it John wow it's the biggest zoo in the world at the time yeah it is more than three times the size of Berlin Zoo in the West. Okay, so they're making a statement here. So they're making a big old statement. Yeah. Two days before the tier park opened, Data announced in a East German newspaper, Neues Deutschland, said the Berlin Zoo and our new Berlin tier park differ so fundamentally in their structure that any competition which no one wishes to have is impossible. Which no one wishes to have. Which no one wishes Ooh, to have. To be pants fair, on fire. Data... You've still got Katarina Heinrott is in charge. And her and Data get on all right. Okay. She's not that bothered about it because I think she basically assumed it would fail because it's, you know, it's the GDR. What the GDR is known for at this point, you know, it's been in existence, what, six years. Yeah. It's not known for getting shit done quickly, John. Okay. It's, you know, you know what it's like on the left. Getting anything done (laughs) takes a long time. Point of order, Madam Speaker. This should come under (laughs) item agenda four. (laughs) so she wasn't overly worried and she even came to the opening of the tier park her and her managing director were invited they're still moving freely aren't they at this point yeah they are the state officials didn't want them to come but data said he insisted he said if they weren't there he wouldn't be there and he wanted to show there was no animosity between the city's two zoos east berlinas they really took to the tier park largely because a lot of them helped build it and there's nothing Um, else to do in east germany and there's nothing else to do in East Germany at this point. So Katerina Heinrott is still at Berlin Zoo and she was really having to fight for her right to be there yeah. still. And she was working so hard. She was delivering lecture series to universities. She was doing weekly radio broadcasts, just fighting to keep the zoo afloat. She needed an assistant, but she was told that if she asked for an assistant, they'd say that showed weakness as a woman and they'd get rid of her so she couldn't have an assistant. She was offered jobs at other zoos, including Leipzig in the East, but she was devoted to Berlin Zoo. It was her life's work, you yeah, know, quite. yet the board was constantly saying it wasn't a job for a woman. And at one point, they summoned her yeah. and they told her that she should take early retirement as they were planning development at the zoo. And this is the reason they gave, John, why this woman, who, remember, had basically fought off the Red Army, yeah. had really fought for her zoo. Saved all the trees. Had been attacked, had yeah. been, just had, you know, saved all the trees in the zoo, stopped the zoo from being closed during the blockade. They basically said to her that they were planning development at the zoo. They were yeah. planning some reconstruction works. And they couldn't possibly have a woman oversee that because if it were to go awry, John, 
they'd have to kick themselves if they'd left a woman in charge of it because it's easier to pin the blame on a man. I love to pin the blame on a man. So we don't want to blame you, So, but we're going to sack you because it'd be awful for yeah. to blame you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Catherine. They offered her a pension and ultimately she... You know, she was exhausted from a fight. She's getting on a bit now. Right. And she just, she really thought about it. Ultimately, she decided if they wanted her out, they'd have to throw her out. But then they eventually just wore her down. Right. Um, which is just really, I find it just really sad That's, that this yeah. woman who was so qualified and worked so hard, put her entire life into this place. And they just ousted her because she was a woman. She eventually agreed she would leave if she could be given six months to train up a replacement. Now, she wanted Data to replace her. She wanted this guy from... Yeah. The tier park to replace her. But obviously, politically, that would have been an impossible... Although the new tier park was exciting, the original zoo had history and had, you yeah, know... Yeah, yeah, it was a symbol. Had, yeah. So he probably would have quite liked to move there, but to bring him from East Berlin to the West would have been Labour piracy, would have just opened a whole can of worms, John, and worms yes. don't belong in a zoo. Don't, you don't want worms so, in a zoo. Yeah, shit zoo. <laughs> if you're going to get a new zookeeper, you want someone mm. like Johnny Morris, who can do... Two voices. Do you remember Animal Magic or are you too young, Angela? <laughs> I'm too young, John. Oh. I've heard of it. Oh, there was this program when I was a kid and it was like he'd be the keeper at uh, Bristol Zoo. The program was called Animal Magic because the animals could talk, but they just show Ooh. a rhino and it'd be like, hello, I'm going to come out of my enclosure today. Then the meerkat would pop up. Oh, hi. Oh, that's really good. Uh, let's go over to the hippo. Hello, I talk a bit like the rhino. Let's go over to the <laughs> let's go over to the little uh, uh, baby kangaroos. Oh, I took a bit like that meerkat actually. And it's like this. We thought this was the greatest program on TV because this was a uh, animals were doing two different voices in the whole program. Different times, wasn't it, it John? Was, different times. Entertained for a decade. Thank you, John Morris. <laughs> There's no TV like that anymore. So did they get a zookeeper? Did they get? They any- did get a zookeeper. So Katerina had met a zoo director at a conference of zoo directors a few years before yeah. um and he was the youngest zoo director in germany he was the director at osnabrück when he was 28 wow. uh, his name was heinz georg klers okay. and uh he was a vet and zoo directors who were vets were looked down upon okay. by zoo directors who'd been zoologists so it was felt that vets had to learn too much on the job whereas zoologists were the real zoo experts the keys in the name isn't yeah, it zoo- I suppose. Garden, zoological gardens aren't they? now the board of berlin zoo had approached several people eventually they approached klers Yep. Uh, Katerina's recommendation without telling him he was their fourth or fifth choice oh, okay. <laughs> but they didn't keep their promise to Katerina that she could train him up they basically told her we can't afford two zoo directors so you're out Okay. so that was it for Katerina she lived on the grounds and everything so oh, she had no. to move from her apartment it was, so yeah, goodbye it's really to sad. her flatmates the meerkats exactly Exactly. Oh, it's crazy. Simple. So uh, Berlin's oldest zoo has this new, young, blonde, energetic, but less experienced director. And it now has a direct rival in the cities. So we've got Data versus Kleurs. When two zoos go to war. Exactly. So the new zoo in the East is thriving. For the state government, this is something to really show off about. You know, look, look at East Germany. Look at how well we're doing. We've got a new zoo biggest in the world three times bigger than the one in the west of berlin data his family were in leipzig he's visit them in the weekend but he yep. lived in a villa on site and i love this there's this description in the book of the villa it says this john like it's a bad thing it looked like a socialist attempt to recreate a witch's cottage in a Bauhaus style oh i'd like to see that i want to live in that house <laughs> that's fantastic on the zoo on the zoo Oh, man. I've stayed the night in a zoo. Have you? Oh, this was a few years ago now. I did a fundraising gig at Bristol Zoo. Okay. Johnny Morris Land. And they'd they'd said to me, um, 
do you want accommodation for the gig? And I thought, yeah, I don't fancy driving back to yeah. Brighton from Bristol. Yeah, I'll stay over and drive back the next day. Brilliant. Thinking they'd put me up in a hotel or something. And I was the, all the other acts were local. Turned up, did the show. A lot of fun. We did it like in the grounds of the zoo. They set up a big stage outside yeah. and it was great fun. And uh, they have like a little apartment and it costs a fortune to stay there. Like it's sort of, but they let, they just let me stay there. And I was on my own in the zoo. Everyone went, they like locked the doors, went, right, you're on your own. And they said, oh, when you have breakfast in the morning, you can wander down to the enclosures if you want to wander around and have a look. You can. So I went and sat and watched the gorillas while I ate my Fantastic. breakfast. It was amazing. But it was weird trying to sleep with animal noise. Like I woke up in the morning. It was like I was on the Serengeti. Wow. And was breakfast just someone coming around with a bucket throwing it on the floor for you? That's right. Yeah. And I had to shit in a bucket. But it was fine. Apart from that, it was great. All the other comics picked the ticks out of each other's hair. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that sounds great. So this guy lived on the zoo in his socialist attempt at a witch's cottage in Bauhaus style. (sighs) want that house and so the zoo's thriving there was a snake farm a John, where they would harvest um venom for the serum to make stuff that's a that's um, a job to give them. someone you don't like isn't it you're and you've you been could, promoted you could watch people harvesting the venom <laughs> that, that was one of their spectator activities i'm sure the stars were like right we don't like this guy promote him to venomous snake milker <laughs> guess what dear they promoted me i'm going to be the seventh head snake milker this year they do keep getting through them they say I can be the crocodile pet farm next. <laughs> yeah, tortoises, crocodiles. They built right a polar bear peninsula what? out of dark grey granite from the ruins of the city's central bank. That's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so it's like a bank come polar bear peninsula. Yeah. One of those yeah. things. Yeah. Well, the visitors joked that it looked a bit grim because the Stasi had financed it, but they actually had. Right. Data was very social and he was very good at forging relationships. And this didn't escape the notice, John, of the Stasi. Oh, suspicious. So he was on one of his visits to Leipzig zoo which was about two hours away maybe three hours away Leipzig from Berlin in the east and uh, while he was gone some gentleman phoned his secretary and just asked her if she'd mind just keeping them informed of where data was going and who he was talking to you know nothing so she was made into informer everyone's an informer he basically told her you know we're just very excited about the zoo and want to know what he's up to you know sold it to her like that and she was like hang on a minute so she told data that she'd had this call and he basically phoned them up and went, no, she's not going to inform and nor am I. Right. People didn't realise they could refuse, so they didn't. Okay. But actually, Data refused. And Data, I don't know whether he had something on the stars or what, but they pretty much left him alone. He didn't have a massive file on him, which the directors of other zoos did. He just sort of got away with stuff. And he was able to maintain these relationships with zoos in the West. And yeah, he managed to pretty much keep politics out of the tier part, which is what he refused to join the party, which we said, because he'd been yeah. burnt by being in the Nazi party. Uh, there were, in the in the tier part, there were none of the slogans and banners that were everywhere else in East Berlin. Okay. Just do not um, feed the animals, that's all. Just do not feed the animals, that was it. <laughs> in German, which so, you could say. And similarly, you had Kleurs now in West Germany, also trying to keep politics out of Berlin Zoo. Kleurs was so unconnected with politics that at one point in his career at Berlin Zoo he recommended that Lutz Heck do you remember the uh, yeah. the Goering's mate be an honorary member of the Association of German Zoos and they all had to go mate mate he was a really big Nazi oh, God, like, he just okay. hadn't been aware he was so disconnected with with politics that he hadn't really seen that that would be an issue remember at this point we're in the 50s still they can still travel between east and west Germany yeah. a lot of 
Westerners were coming to the tier park in East Berlin. So the East was winning. It was. In 1958, 1.7 million visitors came through the Eastern Zoo's gates. That's 200,000 more than visited West Berlin. How did the East Berliners feel about all these West Berliners coming in? Well, they didn't like it, John. They got a bit annoyed with the visitors coming from the West with their fancy jeans and their, you know. (laughs) Yeah, and their uh, Um, rock and roll music. Their rock and roll music. And they said that the East Berliners would complain that the the Vessies would snap up all the food and drink. And this bit really made me laugh. This is a quote from the book. West Berliners get to the tier park in the early morning hours in order to lay claim to most of the restaurant seats for themselves. That is such a cliche about Germans. Those (laughs) those East Germans. They do it to each other, John. Those East Germans were so racist about Germans. (laughs) That's such a cliche. Such a cliche, but there you go. Putting their towels on the sunbeds. That's hilarious. So Claire's in the West is now struggling to compete. He needs to make a name for himself he needed something that data in the east didn't have he decided an ape house that's oh, what they fantastic. need that's what you need apparently apes are hard to get without foreign currencies john oh you yeah no, i found this actually i found that as well <laughs> um but also he knew that for an ape enclosure you needed to have iron bars oh, and he yeah. knew that there's a shortage of raw materials in the eastern block would make them hard to come by those gorillas you've got to absolutely don't want to leave them with like, it's like wooden bars in the tier park they yeah. only really had animals that lived outside or could live outside or quite hardy. Yeah. And this shows actually the sort of clout that Data now had with the East German state. He wrote to Walter Olbricht, who was the head of the DDR, head of state in the DDR, GDR, however you want to call it. And because he'd been refused materials to build a heated enclosure so that they could compete with the ape house and other things that yes. the West were getting. The state had said, no, we can't afford it. So he just wrote directly to Walter Ulbricht, directly to the head of state and asked him for 1600 tonnes of supplies. And what he put in the letter, the way he worked it, he said, so that we don't fall behind the zoo in West Berlin, which at the moment has been putting in the utmost effort to compensate for its loss of prestige. So they're openly then, in competition now. They're admitting that they're yeah, competing with each other. Yeah. So later in the letter, he said, I'd like to avoid the outcome, esteemed Prime Minister, of the West, which is watching our development like a hawk, noting triumphantly that after a year we are running out of steam. Oh dear, that... So it's not even so much that they're in competition with each other. They're just using each other's existence to get what they want. And that's an important comma he put there, because esteemed Prime Minister of the West, if he'd gone esteemed Prime Minister of the West, he could have been in a lot of trouble there for getting that Yeah, one. that would have been a lot of trouble, yeah. <laughs> so he got what he wanted by going, well, if you don't give it to me, yeah. it's going to make us look bad to the, uh, yeah, yeah. the Westerners have got it. For someone know. who didn't want to be in a political party, he was very political, wasn't he? He was, he was, yeah. he was playing the system very well. But they were playing it in the way that, you know, I used to play off my mum and dad when yeah. they were divorced. Uh, get, you know, that sort of, dad didn't give me any pocket money, mum. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Excellent work. So Data then gets quite the coup. Yeah. Chi-Chi the Panda, John. I remember Chi-Chi the Panda. Chi- Do you remember Chi-Chi yeah. the Panda? So Chi-Chi the Panda had been captured by animal trappers in Sichuan. Okay. Remember, different times. Now I'm sad. And separated from her mother. Oh. She'd been traded a number of times and then she ended up at Moscow Zoo. Okay. And she was intended to be sold to Chicago, to a zoo in Chicago. But the Secretary of State, John Foster Dulles, Dulles, I don't even know how to say his name, Dulles. Dulles, Dulles, yeah. Yeah. He stopped the import because there was a US trade embargo involving live animals from China. And so a trader tried to sell her to West Berlin Zoo, but Klerz thought, that's a bit fishy. Like Moscow trying to, you know, sell me a panda. (laughs) Um, And he'd only been there for 18 months at the zoo. He wasn't very liked, so a dead panda's not going to look good, good on his look, watch at that time. Like panda, but no. Data struck up a deal with the trader because they couldn't afford to buy the panda. But he knew the trader and he said, why doesn't Chi-Chi come and stay in Berlin until she's sold somewhere else? Ah. So she came to the tier park and she was a massive PR coup for 
GDR because panda diplomacy is a thing. Oh, it is, right? yeah, it's yeah. A, the Cold War thing. It's like uh, Nixon. It's a and real the, Cold yeah, War yeah. thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. the China giving pandas away left, right, and centre yeah, to yeah. build relationships with people. Um, and over that three weeks, four hundred thousand visitors came to see Chi Chi in the yeah. Tier Park in East Berlin. But I think I saw um, Chi Chi as a child. Well, she eventually ended up in London, John. Oh, there we are. Um, yes. And she also, she ended up as the inspiration for the WWF logo. What, the wrestling? Not the wrestling, John, no. The World <laughs> Wildlife Fund. I knew you were going to say that. The World Wildlife Fund they're logo. Always trying That's to get... Chi-Chi the Panda on My there. memory of Chi-Chi was they're always like on John Craven's news round saying, and they've flown in a mate for Chi-Chi. Oh, not in the mood. Not in the mood. Yeah. The music's not quite right. Oh, I've had too many bamboolies. Very fussy, it's Chi-Chi. Like they just could not get Chi-Chi to have sex. And it's no wonder pandas <laughs> are going fucking extinct, if you don't mind me saying Oh, yeah. So, I mean... They just don't want to do it. They're, they're just, just let them go. They obviously se- don't want to procreate. Have sex pandas. Stop asking them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Data's fame and reputation is growing now. He's got the panda coup. He's got a weekly radio show called Overheard at the Tier Park. Over half of East Germans listen to that radio show. It's like we and- are history in North Korea. Exactly. <laughs> so now we've got a bit of a sort of animal, arms, animal race. arms race going on. Whereas Katerina, Heimrot and Data have got along. No love lost between Klaus and Data. They've got a llama. We're having two llamas. That's exactly. How it is. And each had a job to do. Each had to impress their own heads of state and to show yeah. the triumph over capitalism, over communism or vice versa. Yeah, so yeah. these zoos were playing out on this global stage of, you know, yeah. showing what was winning basically at any given time. Absolutely. Both were passionate collectors, right? And they would buy loads of animals and worry later about how they were going to house them. Yeah. And also they were trying to entice visitors from the opposite side to their zoo. Yes. Um, but they wouldn't be needed to do that for very long, John, because more and more people were defecting to the West via West Berlin, right? That was a route into the West. Over 2 million had gone in the sort of history, in the 12 they year history. They didn't care about the zoos. It's like, it's not enough to keep us. No, there's zoos in other places, guys. We're off. We would have stayed. We saw the zoo once, but it's not enough to keep us here and live in poverty. That's right. So... Early morning hours of August the 13th, 1961, without any warning, East German workers' militias and armed security forces suddenly close off the border crossings to West Berlin and begin installing barbed wire along the border. And in the days that followed, huge concrete blocks are hauled from all around East Berlin to construct the Berlin Wall. It runs through streets, even through houses. They would fill up the windows with bricks and mortar if it went through a house. Families suddenly separated, separated yep. from your next door neighbour, separated from your mum down the road. Yep. Suddenly West Berlin wasn't just an idea of an enclave, it's now sealed off. They said they didn't have the resources to build an ape enclosure, but it's priorities, mm. isn't it? They can build a great big wall. Yeah, absolutely. They managed to find a load of yeah, concrete, all yeah. right. That's what I feel strongly about. During that period of heightened tension, so from really from 1960 to, to beyond the... Cuban Missile Crisis, yeah. the zoo's domestic animals were designated a major part of the city's supply of meat oh, should the worst again. happen. In 1962, a year before JFK comes to Berlin, his brother Robert Kennedy visits the zoo in West Berlin and uh, he brings a gift, John. What do you think he brings? I don't know. Um, a bear. He brings a bald eagle. Massive Crystal Palace He brings fan. a bald eagle. 
Is that, is that a Crystal Palace thing? You go and to Crystal Palace and at half time they have bald eagles flying the length of the pitch. They stand on one, they're on one goal mouth and they fly all the other. It's great. Good show. Blimey. Anyway, Robert Kennedy, massive Crystal Robert Palace Robert Kennedy fan, gives them a bald eagle, eagle, but it gives them a really sick bald eagle. Apparently this is a really common thing that diplomats bring animals that have sort of add it a bit. Oh no, <laughs> you can have this one. But they, they called it Villy Brandt, which was the name of the mayor of, the mayor of West Chancellor. Berlin, who would later yeah. become Chancellor. Yeah. yeah. So East Germans had a field day because you had this bald eagle called Villy Brandt. So they'd have headlines that were saying, you know, Vili Brandt loves to eat dead rats. Okay. Satire <laughs> was early in those days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But actually the, the it was a bit of a dud. It died within two years and Clerks replaced it with a lookalike. Like a lookalike it's bald eagle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So obviously the wall going up meant that this crossing to go to each other's zoos now was impossible. Yeah. So Clerks in the West had just lost a potential million visitors just in one yes, day overnight. Because remember the zoo in the east had the whole of East Germany could get yeah, of course. Yeah, to yeah. that zoo. And West but Germans couldn't go to West Berlin easily. No. All he had was West Berliners to entice. Two million odd West yeah, Berliners. Yeah. And so he started asking for things like for bus routes to start and end at the zoo to try and increase the footfall and yeah. stuff. But in the end he had to, we had to do two things. One is he had to raise ticket prices and two, he got rid of the Oktoberfests. Because they actually weren't making money. They were losing money and weren't nice for the animals to have these big parties and beer fests in the zoo. It was it was difficult times for Berlin Zoo. So he had to do something. Uh, in December 1962, so Klerz presides over the opening of a new aviary. Yes. With a tropical hall where birds can fly about freely. Isn't that lovely? That lovely. So six months later, Data goes, right, what are we going to do? So they open the Alfred Brehm House for big cats. Big cats. Yeah, and the, the house opens with a big banner above the entrance hall that says, a milestone in achieving socialism. Wow, tell that, to, tell that to Joe Exotic. Yeah, who knew? Who knew? In the meantime, obviously, things are very difficult for people in the East. Yeah. Lots of people wanting to get to the West. Um, there's lots of stories about people who worked at the zoo and their attempts to get to the West. There was a young keeper called Gerd Morgan. Yes. And uh, he devised a plan to stow away in a shipping crate with an animal. Right. Okay. Well, brilliant idea. That's quite a good idea. Unfortunately, the only animals that they shipped from the zoo were bears. No, they had a bear did. breeding program because of being Berlin. Yeah, yeah. They would breed bears for other zoos. My experience, I can tell you, you do not want that. The flawed plan, that, John. But then something happened. They got news that there was a moose that was travelling to North Germany, but it was going to be stopping off at the Tier Park. Okay. So he built this special crate for the moose to right. be shipped in. Right. And it had solid sides. And he built a little flap in the top because he knew that they'd want to check. Yeah. The, the guards would want to check that there was a moose in the crate. So he thought, what I'll do, I'll build the flap in so it's obvious where they'll look yeah. rather than just try and peek through the side. Of but I'll build it so that there's a blind spot underneath so I can crouch underneath the flap. And when they look in, they'll see the moose, but they won't and did see he, did me. He es- and it, did he escape? It, it worked. He got he away did. with a moose. There's another kid's film yeah. waiting to be made. Exactly. It's brilliant. Meanwhile, the rivalry is getting more and more heated. Yeah. Klerz is boasting to newspapers that he's releasing eagle owl, owls back to the wild. Oh, my God. So so Data in the West starts returning beavers to their natural habitat in the Elba River. Just every time one does something, the other has to do it or do it better. Yeah. Things started to slow down in the tier park as the economy slowed. As we know, as socialism went on, things got harder. The sort of mass construction yes. slowed down. The tier park started to look a little bit tatty, whereas in the West, Clurs had now got a reputation for being able to get sponsorship and raising capital. Yes. His zoo was thriving. So you could really see how the regimes were working at different points in time in the Cold War by which was doing well when. In relation to know. the economy of their two countries, exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, one thing that Claire's didn't have and yeah. really, really wanted, what do you think it was, John? What do you think Pan- it really made that? Panda was the status symbol of the age. Panda. London's got a panda. We've got a panda. Yeah, London had a panda. It's on, Blue, yeah. it's on Blue Peter. So in 1980, Helmut Schmidt, who's the Chancellor in 1980 of West Germany, yeah. he's planning this trip to China, right? Yeah. It's a big deal, Western leader going to China in 1980. Yeah. So Claire says to him, look, China's probably going to try and give you a panda. Right. Because that's what they do. They do right? that, they do that's that. That's yeah. their panda diplomacy. If they give you a panda, can we have it in Berlin? <laughs> okay. And Schmidt said, yes, you can. But right. don't tell the other zookeepers that you can have it. They get mad about that. They get a bit mad. Now, he knew what he was doing, Schmidt. Obviously, yeah, yeah. that was a real fuck you to East Berlin if yeah, West yeah. Berlin gets it. And also, because West Berlin sits within East Germany, yes. he knew the Soviets would be pissed off yeah. that they've got a thing from China, a panda yeah, from China. Yeah, within the communist have, block, yeah. Within the communist block, but yeah. in a Western enclave. So he needs to build a panda enclosure somehow without letting anyone know that that's what he's doing. So he goes to the board for materials and stuff. And he says, I need to build a house for young animals that have been rejected by their mother. That's what he tells oh, the board he's building. They'll weep. And, they're all crying. Um, they're picturing these orphan little meerkats. And sure enough, in spring 1980, Schmidt announced that pandas would be coming to Berlin. Right, So he does this big announcement. And the Soviets are pissed off because they think that, you know, West Berlin shouldn't be getting... They're a political entity within their zone. Yeah, they absolutely. shouldn't be getting... But... Tian Tian and Bao Bao, they arrived to much hype in November 1980, uh, became popular draws in Berlin, big heroes. Uh, but Tian Tian died three years later of a virus. Oh, no. Almost as if pandas probably aren't supposed to live in Berlin. Indeed. And then, John, I've got some sad news oh, for no. you. Oh, no. Not crumbles. On June the 20th, 1980, Knautschka the hippo had to be put to oh. sleep. He had a fight with his son, which got out of hand. Oh, God. This is a really sad thing, because he was born in 1943. Yeah. And generations of children had grown up with the hippo. And yeah. he, he was one of them. He was a West Berliner. He'd grown up in... In wartime, a war baby. He stayed on this little island of West Berlin his entire life. His Nazi past never came out then. Nor did the fact that, like, he lived there for 45 years. He sired 35 calves, all incestuously, but nobody ever really oh, talks about that. That's hippos for Because you. his collecting's gone a bit out of control. Uh, he's running out of space for his animals in West Berlin Zoo, which isn't anywhere near as big as yeah. the one in the east. And there was a story that's pretty distressing, the story, that the crocodiles were so tightly squeezed in that one of them, its nose grew at an angle yeah. to fit in oh its enclosure and had to be hand-fed, which is oh a, bit, a bit grim. He had animals with double occup- occupancy, so one set would graze while the others slept and then they'd swap. Blimey, um, trying to organise that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. The tear park in the east, it did continue to grow more slowly, but it did by September 1989. It had a brand new pachyderm enclosure, John. Yeah. What's a pachyderm, John? Type of elephant, miss. It's an elephant. Yeah. That's right. So it had this big elephant enclosure, largest in the park. And that year, 1989, John, got its record number of visitors at the tear park in the east, over three million. That's very impressive. What happens in 1989, though, John? A wall comes down. All the, all the animals down. listening on the radio, we're free. The walls are coming we're down. Free, free. Oh, not us. Uh, it's now, not, not our walls, If you walls, want to know apparently. about that coming down, listen to our episode um, about 1989 in East yeah, yeah. I won't go into the details of the wall coming down. What day did it come down on, John? Uh, November the 9th, was it? Angela's birthday? Yes. So, on the day after, in the, the zoo in the East, apparently only nine people turned up to work. Okay. <laughs> it's scared because everyone went to go, what's going on? What's going on? We got down at the wall. And East Berliners were given free admission to Berlin Zoo for two weeks because they could come and go. They could go oh, to the fantastic. zoo in the West again and then go home. They could go and see all these animals they hadn't seen since the 60s. 
It's lovely. We want to go and buy video recorders, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we yeah I'm jeans. not really that interested. We want uh, <laughs> hi-fi equipment. And so that was the end of the story, really, of this sort of so east do, versus do, do, do west. So do both zoos still stand, or is, uh, is are they all put all the animals in one place altogether? Tier happy... Park in the end came under the umbrella of Berlin Zoo. But there's two sites? Um, it couldn't compete. There were two, there's two sites, yeah. Still? It to... couldn't compete. Uh, do you know? I don't know, to oh, be okay. honest, John. Perhaps I don't any know. Berlin I can't zoo remember. I'm sure I read that, us. but... The yeah. tier park sort of fell into disrepair a little bit. And oh. also it didn't have a lot of the bells and whistles. It didn't have the kids' playgrounds and things. Petting and, zoo. And there were other zoos people at the East could get to that were better for families and things right. like that. So basically the, the, the West won the zoo Cold War. It did. And it, in the end, the uh, Clures sort of took it into Berlin Zoo Incorporated. And um, yeah. I think we should say that the zoo was the reasons the wall came down. I mean, everything people always claim that their <laughs> their area of interest is the reason I the wall came down. I thought it was David down. Hasselhoff. It was, no? no, it was the zoos. That's what ended the Cold War. The <laughs> zoos they, they could not afford all those pandas. Never mind the nuclear missiles. It was feed, trying to get the pandas to have six warden down. <laughs> so who knew there was so much to say about zoos in Berlin in the Cold War? John? I like looking at history through a sort of slightly different. It's what we do, Angela. Angle, isn't it? Yeah. That's what nice. we do. So that's our USP. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Angela, for your uh, comprehensive look at uh, zoos in the Do Cold read War. the book, The Zookeeper's War. It's quite, yeah. it's quite yeah. fun. If you are a German zoo animal, uh, there's a helpline at the end of this podcast in case you've been traumatised <laughs> by listening to any of the events that Angela described. And I'd like to end, John, by saying R.I.P. Knabschke. This, this podcast is dedicated to Krumpels. To Knabschke, the memory of Krumpels the hippo. <laughs> 